Welcome to the 457th Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening. The holiday season is fast approaching us. Happy Hanukkah. Christmas is around the corner. Eating season and festivities and parties have officially begun. Makes it very difficult to be plant-based. The first thing I want to share today is that we had our plant-based potluck at our office. Our potlucks are a time for our members to show their stuff, what they've learned in nutrition class, how they've progressed on their plant-based journey, they share their favorite dishes, and today was no disappointment whatsoever. We had a great turnout and a great time had by all. Um, Some of the things that we had, a Tuscan white bean soup, a Tuscan kale soup, a French vegetable soup, a garbanzo bean pasta mushroom and pepper dish, stuffed shells out of our cookbook, very well done, I might add, a black rice edamame kimchi salad, a kale sweet potato salad, cranberry salad, a carob pineapple salad. We had a Greek salad with salad with vegan feta cheese, tamales, both uh, made with jackfruit and a uh, set of tamales with um, refried beans with a green tomatillo sauce, a fruit basket carved out of a watermelon, lima beans, and homemade fudge and almond cookies. So a feast had by all. I really don't think there was one thing on the table that people that were not so-called plant-based eaters would have turned their nose up to. Uh, Everything was very, very delicious and flavorful. Uh, It was without oil. Um, There was, everything was low sodium. So it was good for anyone to consume. Um, Little calories here and there. But again, you know, for a well-rounded Christmas party, I think it was great. It is one month until the long haul 100 mile race. So we're almost to countdown, we're almost to taper week. So this is the last big week. I am going to try to get a long run in despite our inclement weather here in Florida. So I'm hoping for one good last long run and then um, to keep the mileage up in the 60 high 60s for the next couple of weeks and then taper on down. If I look at my year in review of running, I'm, I'm actually quite happy. I stayed um, uninjured for the most part, never had to take a significant amount of time, knock on wood. Uh, I think I kept my, to my promise of mobility and uh, some new techniques on uh, keeping my hips flexible, so that all went well. Um, we started the year with a 50-mile run in January, another 50-miler in April. We did the March Marathon with some of our members, did another 50-mile uh, Colorado Silver Rush uh, in July, and a 50K in October that qualified me for the Leadville 100, and then um, set my eyes on pushing the limits a little further and trying for 100 miles. In some respects, I wish I would have started this ultra thing a lot earlier, but, um, you know, it is, is what it is, and a lot of people progress from road racing to, to, mar- to marathons to ultras and trail racing. It's a little easier on the body, especially as you slow down as you get older. Um, but I heard a podcast this week that gave me, you know, some, and, and there's always inspiration. There's inspiration everywhere. There are people in their 70s, 
um, that are setting world records uh, for times, both on the road. But this week I heard a 80-year-old gentleman set a record for a 100-mile race at Tunnel Hill in Illinois, um, just over 26 hours, I believe, was his time, which is a fabulous time. Anybody would take it. That he was 80 years old. He's done uh, numerous hundred milers, numerous western states. Um, sounded really spunky on uh, the podcast, so I stalked him, of course. Looks spunky. Uh, he's still working as a lawyer. So, again, um, you know, you find inspiration where you look for it. You can look um, around and see uh, deterioration, or you can set the bar higher and look for things that you can. Ch- you can achieve, and there's no reason to not try something new or push the limits. At least I'm going to keep telling myself uh, that for the next several months. I think the funniest thing that he said was, you know, that of course they ask him, don't people ask you about your knees? And he's never had, you know, a knee pain or knee injury. He's very mobile. He does his mobility, does his stretching, um, eats a good diet, watches his weight. He also said, you know, some people try to use exercise as a weight loss. That doesn't even with 100. You're not going to get skinny just running 100 miles because you get hungry and you eat. So you need to watch your calories. Um, so I thought that, you know, his uh, view on life was very, very inspirational. He keeps track of his weight on a daily basis. He keeps track of his races, his training. So he's very diligent about his lifestyle goals and monitors them and keeps them in check. If you have a race on the calendar, you have to train for it and you have to live your life accordingly. And so he actually has done, he started running when he was 37 and he's run a race every month since he was started running when he was 37. It could be a 5K, a 10K, a marathon or a 100 miler, but every month he runs at least one race. And I think the streak is up to 600 and some. And he's like, well, I'm kind of dictated by, you know, the streak that goes on and on. But yet it is very inspiring for him and leads him to have the quality of life that he's looking for. As a lot of people go into the holiday, they let their exercise go out the window because they're too busy and they don't have time. You know, they don't. It's funny. um, In the summertime, it's too hot. Um, In Florida, it could rain or lightning, and now people are too busy. Too many things are on the calendar. Um, But you make time when nobody else is going to bother that time. So if you have to get up a little earlier, you can get it in. Uh, They make these things called headlamps and uh, all kinds of vests that have lights on them. So that doesn't limit uh, anybody. Some of the gyms are now anytime fitness, so you can even go at that time of, you know, anytime you want, go very early. But there's no reason to say that the holidays are a time where you don't have time to continue with your exercise goals or your fitness because it's very, very important to keep that up as part of your lifestyle. On the other end of the spectrum, I had a member come in today and tell me that I should talk to my other members and people about what happens when you move into an assisted living community. This member and her husband are in their early 80s, and they decided to move into assisted living, sell their home that was on the water, a larger home than perhaps they needed, um, maybe more house than they wanted to upkeep. They decided to sell and move into assisted living while they still could do it and move on their own. 
and that they would have help if they needed it in the future. That was their goal. Their goal was that they wouldn't have to cook and they wouldn't have to do with deal with the yard and the maintenance of the house, and life would be easier. But what happened was making life easier also made their health deteriorate. For starters, um, when they lived independently, they were eating plant-based. So blood pressure was under much better control. Cholesterol was under much better control. Kidney function was under much better control. Since moving into the assisted living facility where the foods are not so much salted but processed with a tremendous amount of sodium, uh, blood pressure medicines have had to be added. Weight has gone up. Cholesterol has gone up. Kidney function has deteriorated. But even more importantly, despite having all these different activities available there, um, they have become less mobile, um, more balance issues, not moving as much. So they do a little bit of a walk. They go to the assisted living gym three times a week and do 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there on an elliptical or treadmill holding on. There are some balance classes, but they found that they become too hard for them. Um, and so basically because they move around less in their apartment, they are deteriorating muscularly. So 30 minutes at the gym three times a week is not enough to keep them active. Not having to do house cleaning or up and down uh, has left them more immobile and more unsteady. They don't have to go to the grocery store. They're not driving as much, so they're not walking as much because they're not shopping. And again, muscle deterioration. So if you can compare them to the 80-year-old that set the 100-mile record, you can see what lifestyle choices can do for you or do to you. Um, conveniences may seem like they're helpful, but the reality of it is they often result in us deteriorating quicker. The simple task of going shopping, carrying your groceries, unloading them, bending up and down... Um, is an exercise. It's a mobility. Uh, people don't realize that their steps fall off when they not no longer gardening, no longer mowing the yard, no longer shoveling snow, um, no longer going out and carrying firewood in for their fireplaces. Um, they start to deteriorate. Even from a mental aspect, planning a menu, going and doing your grocery shopping, fixing things around the house really helps one's mind to be active and engaged. Not having to cook also means surrendering your nutrition to someone else. There was a post on the internet of a man standing in two boxes of lettuce saying that he worked in Burger King, and this is how your lettuce is in, in fast food chains. And there was a caption below that the man was caught wherever he worked or whatever, where it was located, and he was subsequently fired. And it was like, might say, well, you know, people don't stand in the lettuce in every Burger King or every fast food. But I have to tell you, I've listened to other podcasts where people reflect on working in fast food restaurants in their youth and the things that they did when the restaurant closed and they were left to, you know, do the closing or do the opening um, is not something that you want to be proud of or... Um, a place that you would want to visit. Unsupervised teenagers are going to cut corners when it comes to cleanliness and even knowing what to do. 
um, and perhaps restaurant owners, you know, again, fast food, but all the way up to save a buck here and there are going to get corners and you don't have any choice in it. I would guess that's a reason why most fast food restaurants have very salty food. The fries are salted, the burgers are salted, the salad bar is salted. Um, everything's well done as a means of preserving and trying to burn and eliminate bacteria as much as possible. It's why most people get sick at the salad bar. Um, so the next time you're frequenting or thinking about frequenting a fast food restaurant, take that into consideration that somebody might have been jumping in the lettuce box in the back. Um, along the same lines, there was a uh, post about um, people getting very ill from drinking unpasteurized milk in Canada. And it's, of course, it's against the law in Canada uh, to drink unpasteurized milk. And people were complaining that's against the law, but there were people that got very ill because of salmonella. And, you know, it's a big surprise, surprise. The reason why there's a law against unpasteurized products is because the etiology of milk is not a clean place. Um, large dairy farms, I mean, just where they're located. Outside, uh, there can be, uh, I think, up to a cup of pus because typically there's mastitis in the up udders. So pasteurization is done, so it can kill most of the bacteria, but it doesn't kill all the bacteria and certainly doesn't kill some of the viruses. There was a study done looking at a potential bovine virus, and it's linked to type 1 diabetes. And children that don't drink dairy, uh, cow's milk had a much lower incidence of type 1 diabetes. So if you have a susceptibility, nothing occurs in a vacuum, but a genetic susceptibility to type 1 diabetes along with a trigger of a virus from a, bov a bovine virus or dairy proteins might be enough to trigger that autoimmune disease, and it's not, not needed. Most vegetable contamination doesn't come from the vegetables but comes from the workers who um, have been ill and touched the vegetables, and it's them not, they becoming, uh, the vegetables becoming um, colonized by bacteria that causes disease from, from humans or in close proximity to the waste waters of animals. So uh, when people tell you that, you know, lettuce is contaminated, it's not because it's of the lettuce, it's because of the uh, human or animal contact that resulted in the, the contamination. In fact, the majority of the microbes that are found in fresh fruit and vegetables are actually very healthy and lead to uh, an um, improved immune system. Choosing organic produce usually means choosing produce that was grown in better soils um, that were not contaminated with a lot of pesticides and herbicides. So it's another reason to uh, choose the organic fruits and vegetables, um, pay a little bit more which means that perhaps the people working on the farms are going to get a little bit more as well, and we can ultimately have a healthier source of fruits and vegetables. There was a study that was posted um, among my meat-eating uh, carnivore colleagues and talking about iron overload. And iron is a heavy metal, and excessive amounts of iron uh, can contribute to dementia, can contribute to liver disease, um, you can only excrete so much iron and the rest is stored in the body. And it's thought that one of the reasons why women uh, have delayed uh, cardiovascular disease is that our iron consumption, um, we eliminate iron every month with the menstrual cycle up until menopause. And then after that, uh, we start to accumulate iron as well. 
uh, if we're eating animal products. If you're eating iron from plant sources, you need a binding protein, so you're going to only absorb the iron that you need. You don't absorb all of the iron like you do with a heme source. So iron from plants is readily absorbable if you need the iron. So we absorb what we need, but we don't get excessive amounts uh, and don't have to worry about that problem. Um, I have yet to see an iron deficiency in a plant-based person. Uh, I have seen um, B12 deficiency in people that consume animal products because uh, people that eat animals from feedlots, uh, those animals are often B12 deficient. And so eating animal products from feedlots can result in a B12 deficiency. The other thing that happens in people that are on proton pump inhibitors or that have chronic uh, GERD and on such medications um, have a decreased iron absorption, decreased B12 absorption. So uh, another reason to keep your gut in good health so that you don't need these um, proton pump inhibitors. But back to the iron, you know, again, uh, it's another reason why we weren't meant to just eat meat uh, because there's going to be an excessive accumulation of iron if that's all you're doing is getting high iron sources from meat three times a day. I talk a good bit about mitochondria and its role in lifestyle diseases. And there was actually a great review, and I'll put a link to the show notes. It's pretty science-detailed, and I'm just going to go over a little bit. I thought maybe I'd talk a little bit about this particular article over the next several podcasts. But um, the name of the article is Key Role of Mitochondria in Health and Disease. And one of the main points that's brought up very early is that exercise is not really an intervention to reverse disease, but the lack of exercise or a sedentary lifestyle is the new thing that humans are experiencing that has led to disease. So we were meant to move in order to keep our mitochondria functioning and to preserve them, and dysfunction of the mitochondria or abnormalities in the mitochondria have been determined to be the, uh, one of the hallmarks in the etiologies of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome, cancer, and even Alzheimer's. So preserving our mitochondria in number and preserving the function is very, very important. And a dysregulation, so forth, of the mitochondria uh, is actually what leads to a lot of lifestyle diseases. In places where people move all the time, there is virtually no lifestyle diseases. So everybody's always talking about carbs, and carbs are bad, and fat is good, and fat won't hurt you, and carbohydrates are bad. But the reality of it is our mitochondria actually are responsible for metabolizing both carbohydrates, fat, and protein. So we need them for all of our um, intakes. It is thought or pondered that the mitochondria first existed actually as a bacteria that multicell organisms engulfed it, and there was a symbiotic relationship between mitochondria and multicellular organisms in evolution, and that they, the mitochondria helped provide energy and the other cells provided a safety so forth for the mitochondria. Every cell in our body has mitochondria except the red blood cells. Um, the muscles have the most amount of mitochondria, 
and there are actually networks uh, of mitochondria that link the energy systems uh, together in the muscle. About 85% of nutrients are metabolized through the mitochondria in the muscle. You often hear about oxidative stress, and oxidative stress is usually portrayed as in a bad way in reactive oxygen species, um, the byproducts of metabolism. But the reality of it is that when carbohydrates and fats are metabolized, there is an oxidation and reactive oxygen species are generated. It's when there's a dysregulation of the mitochondria that they start to build up and the disease typically occurs. And we actually need some of these reactive oxygen um, species or byproducts to signal feedback pathways and to signal other pathways to keep us healthy. If our mitochondria aren't functioning right, it also can lead to DNA mutations. And the reality of it is the the nucleus of the cell has most of the genetics or most of the DNA for the mitochondria and the mitochondria's function. The mitochondria itself has a very limited amount of DNA that makes a limited amount of proteins. So it is very important that the cell and the mitochondria function together. Mitochondrial dysfunction is seen in aging, in infections, in lack of physical activity. To date, the only way to improve mitochondrial function is to increase activity or exercise. There's no medication that repairs or increases the number of mitochondria that we possess. And it is that zone 2, lower heart rate, prolonged exercise that helps us to maintain and improve our mitochondrial function. So think of our 80-year-old guy who's running his races every month and his 100-mile race. His mitochondria are great. His mentation is great. He looks great. Um, His whole body is functioning appropriately versus my 84-year-old that is in assisted living with declining musculature and loss of function, worsening memory, uh, worsening outlook on life, move slower, talk slower, more unstable. There's more and more evidence to suggest that that 150 minutes a week of exercise is not near enough to maintain mitochondrial function. So for all of you setting the bar really low, walking to the mailboxes being your exercise or doing a three-mile bike ride at uh, 17 miles an hour, that is not going to preserve your mitochondria and uh, mitochondrial function. So no matter what you eat, um, if you're not getting the exercise, um, I guess maybe if you eat poorly, it's going to get to you quicker. But no matter what you eat, if you're not exercising, uh, or there's going to be a deterioration of the mitochondrial function. So my 84-year-old wanted a referral for physical therapy, and I think that's a great idea to go to physical therapy. But if you go to physical therapy and you do nothing in between, it's not going to be enough. So physical therapy is usually a combination of exercise, mobility, perhaps some heat treatments, some stimulation treatments uh, for a limited period of time, once, twice, best three times a week. Um, but most scenarios, it's, it's not that often. So if you're doing physical therapy, again, the bar's too low. You need to do what they do in physical therapy at home as well. When she goes to the gym, she holds on to the treadmill and she holds on to the elliptical machine. And when she walks, she uses a walker so that she's not 
um, balancing yourself so that balance, that brain uh, foot coordination proprioception is is continuing to decline. So being in an environment where you can practice your balance is is very important. So I had it's like okay, can you let's get your posture straight. So when you're holding on to the walker, you know let's get your posture straight that so that you're supporting your own weight and using the the walker more as a if something goes wrong as opposed to a device to lean on. Uh, because again, if you're leaning on it, you're not engaging all of your muscles. And typically it was a lean forward, bend at the waist, head forward type of movement that caused her to be more unbalanced just by the act of holding on to the walker. So the walker should always be positioned so the person is upright and has good posture. So the physical therapist will assess that. It's like when you get up, um, the other key is can you get up without your hands? Of course, she couldn't. And it's like, okay, so if you can't get up without your hands, once you're up, then when you go to sit down, try to lower yourself very slowly as a negative stand to sit. Do that several times. So you don't have to go to the gym for that. Every time you sit down, sit down in a controlled fashion so you're not plopping. I watch people sit down all day, every day, whether I watch them get into their cars when they leave the office or I watch them in the office people get about halfway down and plop. You hear the big noise, push, into the padded chair, right? Uh, If you've ever watched anybody sit down, watch, okay, at the holidays, something to watch, you know, watch relatives, how they sit down, plop into the chair. No control. Just by sitting down in a controlled fashion, you can work on your leg strength. Getting up without using your hands. So every time you get up without using your hands, you're working on your leg strength. I said, when you're using the walker, when you're standing there, pick the walker up a few times, you know? So you pick the walker up off the ground, you're using your arms. So it's, again, a strength-building exercise for our arms without going anywhere. Activities of daily living are huge to keep us functional. That's why the more activities, the more activities that we have a daily living and the more chores that we do tend to make us better. Increase the grip strength. If you never open a jar, your grip's going to go. Um, so if you're not cooking for yourself, you're never going to open a jar. You're never going to twist a can opener. Um, you're going to, what are you going to do to maintain your grip? If you grab a hold of that walker and you raise it up, you're going to help maintain the grip a little bit. If you carry your grocery bags, you're going to maintain your grip a little bit. Switch in hands, switch the way you're carrying something, carry something close to you, carry it from an arm, a farmer's carry, carry it with one hand, a suitcase carry. Those are things of daily living that you can do to maintain what you're doing and range of motion if you can't do a full lunge to the ground hold on to something and get your range of motion until you can progress of what you can do on a daily basis so that you maintain the range of motion again spend some time on the floor if you get on the floor and you get off the floor you're using a lot of muscles and moving a lot of joints to a better range of motion than you would if you've been just sitting in a chair So when you go to your family's house or when you're at a party and there's not seating, say, great, this is my opportunity to sit on the floor. And then you can get off the floor a variety of different ways and, uh, you know, do quite well. I think I talked about in the podcast before where um, we had a get-together where we played this bag game. And you put a paper bag in the middle of the room and everybody picks the paper bag up with your mouth. and, And then you 
you can't put your hands on the floor. So you bend over and pick the paper bag up, and then you cut an inch off the top, and you go around, and everybody picks it up again. And if you touch the ground or you fall over, you're out. And it keeps progressing until you see how low people can go to get their head to the floor while lunging uh, or squatting uh, to be able to get the bag off the floor or the piece of paper, as it might be, to get to all the way. It's a great game, and it's a great game for mobility. The way we handle our food, whether it's carbohydrate, fat, or protein, is a result of our mitochondrial function. And so if we're not, if they're not functioning appropriately, then we don't handle the byproducts of metabolism. And so they build up and cause acidosis or inflammation. So all those pathways are interconnected. So it's extremely important that we keep these babies going um, in the best sense of the word. So when you're thinking about lowering the bar to the minimal that you can do, try seeing if you can raise the bar. And waiting till January the 1st, you know, you're just delaying things and the things are getting, you know, you're losing mitochondrial function if you wait till January 1st. So you should start it now uh, by doing something. So park down the street when you go to visit relatives so you can at least walk up to their house. Take a walk after the big dinner. Eating plant-based, you certainly metabolize the food a lot easier. You're getting fiber in, keeping the mitochondria good, keeping inflammation down. If you have stairs in your house, use them. Use them to go up and down, carry things up and down. Use them to stretch. Use them as a negative as you go down the, down the stairs. See if you can hold on. See if you don't hold on. Um, anytime you have a chance to do something on one leg, do that. Waiting in the grocery line, unweight one foot. Um, I saw a funny cartoon where if you're always standing leaning to one side, you can actually have genetic shortening of the muscles that on the side that you never put any weight on. Think about it as being casted. If your leg is in a cast and you're not putting any weight on it, you're going to have atrophy or shrinkage of those muscles. If you're always standing to one side and not standing balanced, you actually can get shrinkage of the muscles in one of your legs and become more unbalanced over time. If you're always leaning on the grocery cart, again, you're going to have a certain um, uh, posture that's going to cause problems over time. Challenge of the week, see if you can stand on one foot. See if you can stand on one foot and close your eyes. And the biggest challenge will be, can you put your shoes and socks on while standing up? My mother was 90 years old when she passed away, and she could still put her pants on without holding on to something. She practiced it. It was something that she did every day that she said, I'm not going to let this go. I'm using this to keep my balance. You know, my mom didn't have a degree in exercise phys, but she had a huge amount of knowledge of common sense. And there were certain things that she did every day to maintain her mobility. And that was one of them. She put her pants on without leaning against the bed. Um, you know, so can you put your pants on without leaning against the bed? Can you put your socks on without leaning against something? Stand up and put your socks. By bringing your knee to your chest, it, you're moving your hip. Um, you're engaging your glutes. So there's all kinds of things. Can you put your shoe on, you know, without uh, bending, without, without sitting down? You know, you can bend over and tie it and get a good hamstring stretch. So those are things that you can do, activities of daily living, to make things just a little harder, but you can increase your mobility, increase your strength, and increase your mitochondrial function. So I wish you all happy plant-based eating at your holiday gatherings. Bring something for somebody to share and wow them. Um, We certainly had a lot of beautiful dishes on our potluck table.
park down the street so you walk a little bit more, take a walk after. If you have a fireplace, make sure you bring a log in every time. It's a good thing. It's a good way to carry uh, the wood in, and it's a good way to get a little bit of a strength training every time you go out. That was a rule at my house growing up in West Virginia. If you came in from the outside, you needed to be carrying a log with you um, to have for the fireplace. Bring your own bags to your grocery store so that you can carry them and not take the cart back to the car. And by all means, if you do take the cart to your car, take that cart back to the grocery store. Don't leave it in the parking lot. It's one of my biggest pet, pet peeves. I guess that would be, it would be called. So do the little extra things that you can get a few extra steps, a little bit of movement, a little bit of bending, and life will be good. Happy holidays. Probably talk to you next week if uh, all goes well. And um, happy running.